Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger of Story Point Church, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. And now, here's Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger for this week's message from Story Point Church. Man, as the old school preacher used to say, if that don't light your fire, your wood is wet. Golly, I'm not sure I can follow that, but I want to tell you something. I have more confidence in the church of Jesus Christ today than I've ever had before in my entire life. I have more confidence in the gospel than I've ever had in my entire life. I don't believe that there's anything, the gates of hell included, that can stop the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you have that same confidence? You all ready to have church today? Now, I want you to look at your watch. We have gone long on the worship time, but here's what, it, here's what I was thinking. I was thinking, you know, the, the Bible teaches that uh, when we come together to worship, it, it's not about a, a service. It's not about a show. It's about God's people joining their hearts, and it's about, about hearing uh, encouragement from each other. And so, as I was listening, yes, I, I, I was listening that, that, you know, we were, I mean, Kevin was just like, he, it was coming out of his soul, you know, and I was thinking to myself, you know, to some people that might seem a little strange, but, but not, not for God's people, because this is who we are, amen? But here's the thing, it's not just us who gets to do this, this is you who gets to do this, you get to testify, you get to say, our God is an awesome, awesome God. One of the cool things I love about what we have here is we've got some really dedicated people who at this time, they take the kids and they, they, they inspire the kids to the gospel anyways. And so the ladies back here, if you are a kid and you're going to kids church, now would be the time. I know we got you off your rhythm here, right? Y'all give them a round of applause. It is okay to run in church. Go get them. Man, I used to get beat for that kind of stuff. Now we celebrate it. That's a little strange. Open your Bibles, if you will, to John chapter 17. I promise that I will not uh, go long today given the fact that we went long earlier because that was good stuff. What I'll do is I'll just boil down the really good stuff, right? John chapter 17. I have received multiple texts this last 24 hours of people saying, Jeff, pray for me. Many of them are because of COVID. Uh, many of them are, are just because of family issues that are going on. And I don't know about you, but I oftentimes feel so guilty when I get these texts because I feel like I don't pray enough. And have you ever had the time where somebody said, pray for you, and you might, you know, they said, hey, please pray for me, and you might be doing something, so you get the text and say, absolutely, praying, and you say a prayer right then, and then you, you start doing life, and then the next day, you're like, man, I told somebody I would pray for them. I don't remember who it was. You ever done that? And, and, you're, and, and the enemy starts to try to just say, ah, oh, you're, listen, We've got to stop letting the enemy have so much sway in our life over our emotions trying to convince us of things that just aren't true. We need to give ourselves the grace that God gives us and we need to give each other grace that God gives us because it's by grace that you've been saved through faith. It's all about the grace of God. Listen, I'll just go ahead and tell you, you are not enough. 
I am not enough. I am insufficient to be a savior and I am insufficient to be a pastor and I'm insufficient to do anything, to be a husband, to be a father. But through the sufficiency of Christ, I have all that I need and I am all that I need to be because of him and his power at work inside of me. And I don't say that in any way with any type of arrogance or, or pride. I simply say that to say like Paul, I'm the worst of the worst and yet God still does great things. He makes his greatest moves through his weakest people. And so I'm looking out at a crowd and I'm thinking to myself, you guys are rock stars. You are superstars. And I don't mean that in a pejorative way at all. I mean that Literally, you guys have everything you need to turn this city upside down. I mean, if God started with 12 strange, ordinary men, one of which didn't even make it through the first cut, right? What could he do with a house full of people like you? And what's really cool is that so many of you are in different places of society that I can never get to. And I don't need to get there because you get there. You are already there. You already have connections and you already have conversations. And you might say to yourself in this moment, I don't know what to do. Listen, I get that, but I'm going to give you, an, I'm going to tell you all that you need to do. You need to say, Lord, here I am. Send me. Here I am. Use me. And then let God speak through you. And, and it sounds hard, but it's really not. It's simply a matter of daily getting up and saying, Lord, I just need you to, I want you to use me. Show your glory through me and God will do it. He will open up conversations that you never dreamed possible. See, I'm, well, I was about to make a joke. I won't do that. John chapter 17. There's so much here. It's such a beautiful passage. What we don't know is the exact context of where this was prayed. Like we don't know the location. We don't know what was going on. But, but we can make some assumptions here based on, on what is actually being prayed. And the fact that it's written down like this tells us that at least John heard it. I believe all of the disciples heard it. I, we do know that in chapter 18 that... The scripture says, as, as, after Jesus had said these things, he went out with his disciples across the Kidron Valley where there is a garden. He, his disciples, went into it. Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place because they had gone there most. So this was before Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane. This was before Jesus went and was arrested by Judas leading the mob of people. So this was right on the cusp of his greatest suffering, the greatest suffering of his life. So it was somewhere between the Passover meal and his arrest. I think that probably this would have been at the, my guess is that it would have been at the Passover meal. That's just my guess. And I think that all of his disciples heard him. I think that he wanted his disciples to hear one more time the bottom line of everything that he had taught them. It was the culmination. It was the, it was the guts or the meat of the gospel that he lived before him, or before them. He first prays to his father by praying for himself. That's chapter, that's chapter 17, verse one through five. Beautiful passage there. Go back and read that. But it's starting in verse six. He begins to pray for his disciples. Now, do you ever have somebody pray for you, and as they're praying for you, you, you feel this 
power, this, this, this confidence inside of you. You feel this peace. You feel this, this strange feeling of, wow, these words are real, that the prayers are literally life being spoken into you. Do you, you know what I'm talking about there? Listen, that's, I think, what was going on. I think as Jesus was praying, he was preaching. I think he was saying this as a way that a father would tell his son or his daughters, don't forget this. Don't forget this. And I think that the disciples, years after this time, in their hardest, most darkest times, would have recalled the words that Jesus prayed. And it would almost maybe went something like this. I'm in the greatest fight of my life, but my Savior has prayed for me. And even now, he's interceding for me. The scripture tells us that Jesus himself intercedes for you. That means that Jesus is talking to the Father about you and for you. There are some humans that, man, when I have a real problem, I want them to pray for me. I want to hear their words of encouragement. These words that Jesus spoke would have given the disciples the same kind of hope. And here's what Jesus prayed. I have revealed your name. Remember, he's praying to the Father. I have revealed your name to the men you gave me from the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that all things you have given to me are from you. Because the words that you gave me, I have given to them. They have received them and have known for certain that I came from you. They have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me because they are yours. Everything that I have, Father, is yours and everything you have is mine and I have been glorified in them. I am no longer in this world, but they are in the world. I am coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by your name that you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I was protecting them by your name that you have given me. I guarded them and no, and not one of them is lost except the son of destruction so that the scripture may be fulfilled. Now I am coming to you and I speak these things in the world so that they may have my joy completed in them. I've given them your word. Your world has hated them because they are not of the world as I am not of the world. I am praying not, uh, I am not praying that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. I sanctify myself for them so they also may be sanctified by the truth. There's so much theology in this thing. But as you noticed, it says, I've revealed your name to the men you gave me from the world. That means Jesus had to bottom line it because that's how we men are, right? At least my wife tells me, she says, if I know if you want to hear me, I got to just bottom line it. I just got to, just the facts, ma'am. I don't know if you're like that, but that's the way I am. I just want to hear, just don't confuse me with the details. I don't want to know where you, where you went shopping and what you did. Just give me the overall general idea. And so Jesus was giving them the overall general idea. 
He was saying, look, let me tell you what's important. I have revealed the Father to you. That's what's important. I have revealed the Father to you. You know what that tells me? That tells me that everything you and I need to know about God has been given to us. You ever notice that we want the special revelation about things? We don't need special revelation. We have all the revelation we will ever possibly need already given to us through the Word of God. Because the Word of God is what is, is who God is and what He's like. It's how He thinks and how He moves. We can see in the Word of God a revelation of the very heart and nature and character of God. In fact, in God's Word, what we have is a description of the names of God. And so if you want to know what God is like, just look at the names that He has. And there are multiple names you, 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 could, you could spend a year. In fact, our students are the way that they are because Brent wisely, our student pastor, wisely decided that he needed to spend probably two years on the names of God. See, one of the problems with student ministry in our country has been that we've been trying to teach Christian moralism, trying to teach teenagers how to live, not who to love. And if you try to teach people how to live apart from, from, from the, the God that you're supposed to love, what you get is a bunch of actions that you can never hold up. You can't keep living morally if you have no foundation behind it. But when you teach about the God that exists, the God who has called you by name, and when you, when you, when you teach about the fact that our God is an all-sufficient Savior for everything in your life, then living for Jesus makes it's a whole lot more clear. Does that make sense? And so I'm thankful that we have a student pastor who, who does that, but I want to say to you, that you know all about God that you will ever need to know through his word. There was an old song that I used to sing in a church that, you know, when I was a teenager, and it went kind of like this. You can't stand on God's promises if you don't know what they are. Here's the thing. The only reason you and I would not know what God's promises are is if we choose not to find them. That's it. Now, I'm not in any way saying that discovering the character of God is easy, I'm saying it's possible because in the scripture, we have to discern what the scripture is actually saying. We have to, to allow God's spirit to work inside of us to make this thing make sense. But Jesus said, I've revealed your name. They were yours, you gave them to me. In other words, I've done all that I can do. I've given a clear picture of who you are. Man, I wish I had time today to fully give you all of the names of God, all of the pictures of who he is. I mean, you have everything from lion to lamb, mighty conqueror to suffering servant. I mean, you have, you have in, in him the sufficiency, you have the power, you have the grace, you have the kindness, you have the goodness. Everything we will ever need is wrapped up in the person of Jesus Christ. When we see Jesus, we see the Father. That's what he meant by I have revealed your name. The scripture tells us in Colossians that he is the image of the invisible God, firstborn over all creation. In him, all things were made. All things were made in him and by him and for him. And then through him, all things hold together. That means Jesus Christ is the glue that keeps this world from absolutely going stark raving nuts. You say, well, wait a minute, isn't it going stark raving nuts? Oh, you ain't seen nothing yet. 
If you were to pull the goodness of God out of the world, you would have absolute chaos and turmoil like you could not even dream. That's called the restraint of the Holy Spirit. If you were to take God out of the world, you would have disaster. You ever seen the movie Escape from New York? Y'all are old enough. Some of y'all might be old enough. That was like a 70s or 80s movie. It was where a part of New York was, was, uh, was walled off, and they just let everybody do whatever they wanted to do. I think Kirk Douglas might have been in it. it was, it's kind of like that. It's martial law. Everybody just fends for themselves. Listen, that's what the world is like when you take the goodness of God and the grace of God and the mercy of God out. People say, well, how can you say that? Well, just go to a place where there is no gospel. You can see it. Well, let's not go there. So he says, I revealed your name to those that you gave me. They were yours. You've given them. So the first thing he wanted to say is, you have everything you need. Church, you have everything you need. You need nothing else. Why? Because the Spirit of God is living inside of you if you are born again. You have all of the power, you have all of the hope, you have all of the courage you will ever need. It is already inside of you. I would say that for many of us, it just needs to be awakened. This needs to be utilized. It just needs to be depended upon. Um, I I had this this thought. I hope it's all right. I think it would be okay. Shannon, my wife, um, about May or so, woke up one day and was like, you know what? I'm not doing this anymore. Not marriage. But (laughs) although that was probably part of it, she said, you know what? I'm not doing this anymore. I don't like what I see in the mirror. I don't like my attitude. I don't like the way I think. I'm going to do something different. And she started in that moment thinking and acting different. She's a completely different woman today. Because she, what, see, what she had was everything she has now, she just had not awakened. She had not gotten a hold of it yet. Does this make sense to you? Would you agree that, that there's a life inside of Shannon that is, that is marvelous in so many ways? I mean, she, she gives hope, and she does that because something in, something in her, she said, look, I've got to make a change. It was this awakening. What I'm trying to say to you by way of human illustration is you already have what you need. You just need to wake up and realize who you are and whose you are. Turn to the person next to you. Say, you need to know who you are and to whom you belong. That's good English, by the way. Matter of fact, yeah, say that. Say, wake up. Wake up. Stop stop thinking of yourself as a person who's just defeated and you just can barely make it. No, you are a child of the Most High. If you have been born again, Jesus Christ... The one who created all things is with you and he is for you and he's moving in you and he's given you a commission and he sent you already. You just need to realize it. Now the cool part is he even prayed for the process to move you from being born again to being what's called glorified. And that is the process of sanctification. He talks about it here in in just a minute. But he is saying that there's something inside of you that is alive, and when you become uh, aware of that, when, when, when you almost, when you lift up your eyes and go, wait a minute, 
I know who I am. Okay, uh, the Lion King, right? This, actually, this is probably a better example. The Lion King, right? He's this silly little lion, whatever. And his dad, when he roars, it's just the whole, everybody just, right? This is making, it's making perfect sense in my head. I hope it's making sense out here. And then, and then as, as he is in the valley, uh, something happens and his father dies rescuing him. Right? Simba, is that his name? Okay, it's coming to me slowly. I was busy looking at my girlfriend when I was watching that movie. Um, so I didn't remember all the details. It happens to be my wife now, so you can understand, right? Um, and so because of that moment, even though he was the king's son, even though the throne was his, he believed the lie from Mufasa. Scar, that's right. The lie was from Scar. Thank you, Lonnie. I can always count on you for truth. <laughs> and because of that lie, he ran away. And Scar ruled the place, right? And then one day, he had somebody talk sense into him. And if I'm not mistaken, here's how it goes. Oh, this is getting exciting for me. I'm not a Disney fan, but I remember this because it fits so well. He's in a mud puddle and he looks and he sees his father's face. Do you remember that? He sees his father's face and something inside of him wells up and he says, you know what? I know who I am and it's time for me to do what I've been called to do. And the land had become dark and desperate. He comes back over and he makes it just like his father's land was. That is the gospel. That is the gospel by Disney. They didn't know they were doing it, but that's what they did. See, Jesus was praying and he said, Lord, he said, Father, you gave them to me. They were yours. You entrusted them to me and they have kept your word. Now, they know all things you have given me are from you because the words that you gave me, I've given them. They've received them and have known for certain that I came from you. They have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. Why was Jesus praying for them if they knew all of this truth? He was praying for them because he knew what was coming. See, up to this point, Jesus was protecting them and guarding them and watching over them. Nobody could mess with them as long as Jesus was there. But what they didn't realize is that all of the strength and the power that Jesus displayed was actually given to them. Because Jesus knew there was a time when they would carry on his very work. That's why Jesus said, as my father has sent me, so I am sending you. You can't send somebody or you wouldn't send somebody that you didn't think was ready. You know, one of the greatest joys of my life at this stage of my life, I am 40 years old. Okay, not really. I'm 47. I should have lied. I should have said 35. It would have been funnier. I, I, I only say that because we were having dinner with some friends last night and the 15-year-old the daughter, they, uh, we were having a conversation and uh, we said, hey, do you have any questions for us? And here's what she said. She goes, uh, how old are you? And I'm thinking in my mind that she was thinking that I was like 60. Because, you know, when you're 15, you don't have a, a judge of age. Um, 
but, but we were talking and I was, I was remembering how fun it was to have teenagers at the table, the things they think about, the things that go on in their head. But at 47, you know what? The greatest joy, one of the greatest joys I have is watching my children succeed in things. I had a conversation with my oldest daughter, Sarah, last night, and we were talking about ministry. We were talking about um, uh, just different parts of ministry. And I remember thinking to myself, man, this feels so good. I know you can do what God has called you to do. I'm not sure she knows she can do it, but I know she can do it because I know she's been given everything she needs to succeed. That's what Jesus was feeling, I believe. I believe he was going, you know what? You're gonna be afraid. You're gonna be scared, so I'm gonna pray for you. And I'm gonna let you hear me pray for you so that you'll never doubt what I think. He said, I pray for them I'm not praying for the world, but for those you've given me because they are yours. And then listen to this. Everything I have is yours and everything you have is mine. I have been glorified in them. When he says everything I have is yours and everything you have is mine, what he was saying is that he and the Father were one. They were thinking on the same, they were thinking the same, they had the same values, the same goals, I guess you could say. And he was giving us a model of his expectation of us. Let me say it differently. Jesus or Jesus was saying, Father, I love what you love. I hate what you hate. Disciples, you are to love what I love and hate what I hate. Love what I love, hate what I hate. Give grace where I give grace. Be just where I would be just. Speak out where I would speak out. Be kind where I would be kind. Be merciful where I would be merciful. In other words, you are going to do what I would do if I were in your shoes. You want to know how we change the world? We simply act like Jesus. It's almost like we, I got an idea. Let's get some bracelets and let's do WWJD. And that can stand for what would Jesus do? Being sarcastic, but the truth is that really is how we're supposed to live. What would Jesus do? Of course, my children have twisted that and they make it, what would Jeffrey do? <laughs> they, they do that in, uh, in, in jest, I assure you. He said, I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. I am coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by your name, the name that you have given me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I was protecting them by your name that you have given me. I guarded them and not one of them is lost except for the son of destruction. Um, it's the picture of Jesus being a mighty conqueror who does not allow, or a father, a strong father who does not allow anybody to mess with his children. And he was praying for them because no doubt they were a little bit concerned. Could you imagine Peter? Imagine Peter thinking about this, this realization going, wait a minute, you're going to be gone? I mean, I, I don't do also that, I don't do so hot when you're here, let alone when you're gone. I mean, I mess up plenty with, your, with you right in front of me. I mean, Peter was the guy who took out a sword and started swinging and actually was so bad at sword fighting that he cut off a servant's ear. That's not a guy you want protecting you, right? Peter was the one who opened his mouth before his brain got in gear to start thinking, Peter was the one who jumped out of the boat to start walking to Jesus and then realized, oh, wait a minute, I'm out in the boat. 
If anybody was concerned, Peter must have been really, really concerned. But Jesus reminded them, I'm praying for you that you'll be protected just like I've already protected you. Now, let's, let's break that down for just a minute. We think that God protecting us means he preserves us from all harm and pain. And that's just not what the Bible says. That's why the Bible says that of Jesus, that he in, he, but for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. That's why when Jesus prayed, Lord, take this from me, but not my will, but yours be done. Why? Because the only way for God to be lifted up was for the Son of Man to be lifted up. And if the Son of Man was lifted up, he would draw all people to himself. That was the only way for God to be glorified was through the suffering of Jesus. So when Jesus prays for us to, for us to be protected, he's not praying that we would be devoid of any pain or struggle or sorrow um, or, or, or hardship. He was praying that God would hold us firm to the very end. Brent and Kevin and myself, we do a podcast called Messy Christianity. And this past week, we recorded the same one twice because our, our recording device messed up. But we were recording the topic, how to survive the wilderness. All three of us have been in the wilderness. That's why when we lead, we're not leading from, from some ivory tower somewhere. We're, 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 just, we're just trying to live life in front of you. With the, real, with, with the honesty of saying, we haven't figured it all out, but, but this, is, this is what we've learned. We recognize that. But as we're, having, as we're talking about this podcast, Brent makes this statement that just blows me away. I don't think I'd ever thought about it. Maybe you haven't. Ephesians chapter 6 says that we're to put on the full armor of God, right? The head... Uh, the, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the sword of the spirit, the shield of faith, the sandals fit with the readiness of the gospel. And in my mind, we, I usually have this, this Sunday school VBS picture of this warrior, you know, six foot eight tall, you know, carved chin, uh, you know, perfectly shiny armor, the, the, the sword that's just crazy sharp. And, and, and the, 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 the armor doesn't have a scuff or a mark on it. Like the light shines on it and it just poof, blinds you, right? But that is not a picture of reality. You want to know a real picture? Brent said, listen, you put on the armor of God every single day because you're going to a fight. You're not going to a, 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 a spitball contest. You're going to a battle to the death fight. And if you've ever seen uh, someone who's gotten into a fight, they are beaten and bloody and battered. Their, their armor has been dented and scuffed. They've been thrown onto the ground and drugged through the mud. Their helmet is a little cockeyed or it's a little crooked and it's a, it's a little, you know, the piece that goes in the middle is a little bent. Their sword has got, has got blood on it. Their feet are, are dirty from all of the, all of the mud and, and, and the rocks that have pressed into their legs. And it's, it, it's, it's not a picture of perfection. It's a picture of, of a genuine struggle. And the goal is, after all of that, to stand. We think that putting on the armor of God means we go, Ta! right? It's like we put on a cape and we just, doo, 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 
No, that's not what it is. We are fighting to the death. The scripture, when it says you wrestle not against flesh and blood, it's a picture of hand-to-hand combat, grappling. When you are like an MMA fight and you've got each other in this, in this hold and you don't know if you're actually going to win except for the promise that greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And you cry out to Jesus and you're able to place victory, but you've paid a price to do it. That is why Jesus was praying for his disciples. Father, I pray for them. I don't pray that you would take them out of the world. I pray that while they are in the world, you would protect them from the evil one. You know what he's really praying for? He's really praying for your heart. Because you want to know how the enemy wins over us? He defeats us on the inside. Because what's going on on the inside comes out on the outside. Causes us to fall into temptation. Causes us to sin. Causes us to be isolated. Causes us to be defeated. Causes us to give up all of those things. Listen, none of that happens if you remember who you are and to whom you belong. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. I talked about this a moment ago. Let me kind of wrap it up. There are three things that happen in a believer's life. They are justified. They are sanctified. They are glorified. Glorified is when you're made perfect. Justified is when you're made righteous. Sanctified is when you're made holy. So sanctified, or excuse me, uh, justified, it's the moment you're born again. Your sin is, your old is gone, the new has come. And, and when you are born again, are you born as a teenager or are you generally born again as a child? You're born again as a child. That means you've got the rest of your life to figure out who God is, to discover who he is through his word. And as you discover him through his word, his word actually speaks to you and it sanctifies you. It it shaves the rough edges off. It changes your heart of selfishness to a heart of love. It does all the things that make you look like Jesus. And when that sanctification is done, you are glorified. I'm not exactly sure when glorification exactly happens. All I know is that it's a beautiful thing. You're not going to struggle anymore with the things that you struggle with now. And Jesus said that he was glorified and he's praying that we would also be glorified. But here's the cool part. The cool part is that Jesus prayed for his disciples. They heard him praying. And then I just imagine it's almost like he said, I don't think he said these words, but it's almost like he said, all right, now I prayed for y'all. Just give me a minute while I pray for those coming after you. This was for you. These words were prayed for you by Jesus. So I want you to do me a favor. I want you to just close your eyes. And I want you to listen to me pray these words. And I want you to imagine that it's what Jesus, I want you to imagine that it's actually Jesus who is praying. I want you to listen as though he was saying these words and I want them to give you comfort and hope and courage. I pray not only for these 
but also for those who believe in me through their message. May they all be one as you, Father, are in me and as I am in you. May these believers to come also be one in us so the world may believe that you sent me. I've given them the glory you've given me. May they be one as you and I, Father, are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they be made completely one so the world may know you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire those you have given me to be with me where I am. They will see my glory, which you have given me, because you love me before the world's creation. Righteous Father, the world has not known you. However, I've known you, and these have known that you sent me. I made your name known to them and will make it known so the love you have loved me with may be in them and I may be in them. You know, the prayer that Jesus was praying for you and me was that we would be one. But I had this, I had this, this, this clarity in this passage this week that he's not just praying that we'll get along. That's not what he's praying about. He's praying that our eyes will be fixed upon Jesus and the purposes of God the Father in such a way that none of those things that typically divide us are actually going to matter. So here's what I think God wants from us today. I think what God wants from us is a heart that yields to Jesus in every way. You know, when you're looking at the Father, you don't have time to argue about silly things. You don't have time to worry about differences. Going, man, do you, do you see that? Do, 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 you, do you see that? No, 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 just stop whatever you're doing. Just, just look at that. Isn't Jesus marvelous? That's the picture for the church today. When we're looking at Jesus, the Bible says, so we fix our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. If we're to fix our eyes on Jesus, all of those silly things that divide us, that matter, they just don't matter the most. We can go, well, you know what? You, you've offended me, but that doesn't matter anymore. Because I'm looking at Jesus, and I just want you to look at Jesus with me. Oh, yeah, you know what? You like that, and I don't like that. But that doesn't matter anymore. Because I'm looking at Jesus, and I want you to look at Jesus with me. Imagine if we had that perspective. We could forgive those who have hurt us pretty fast. Because the glory of God outshines the pain of the hurt. We could, we could get over the, 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 the differences pretty fast because the differences would not even be small compared to who we're looking at. 
Will you close your eyes and bow your head with me? I want to just invite you to allow Jesus Christ to have every fiber of your body. Jesus prayed, make my joy complete in them. If you can think of it this way, that means that the joy is in your blood. It feeds every part of your body. It's different than happiness. It's not a feeling. It's a state of being. That's what God is doing inside of you. Right where you are, I invite you, if you've not ever trusted Jesus Christ to be the Lord and Savior of your life, I want to invite you right now to repent. That means turn from your sin and turn to Jesus. I want to invite you to welcome Him into your life and ask Him to be the Lord, the boss, the owner. Give Him the the go-ahead to begin sanctifying you, making you like Jesus. This morning, if you're born again and you have just kind of lost focus, I want to invite you to put your eyes, to fix your eyes upon Him. Be the church. If this morning you have forgotten who you are and to whom you belong, I invite you to look into the puddle and see the face of Jesus and own the truth that exists. Father, I pray with every fiber of my body, with every fiber of my being, that your people would rise up to the great calling that you have on their life. Father, the men, the women, the children. God, that you would silence the voice of the enemy who would lie over and over and over. May we only hear the voice of truth. And Father, I can't help but think of the different situations that our family's going through in this place. Dealing with with sickness, dealing with job loss, dealing with ins- the, the, the instability of, of, of life. God, I ask you to rise up in, raise up inside of them the hope that comes from the gospel. God, I pray that you would lift up our eyes and see that our redemption is so very close. And I ask this in Jesus' name.